Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Bob Krell, host of the Healthy Indoor Show and the publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, and uh, here to welcome you to another edition of our show. Uh, with us today, um, I'm really happy to uh, introduce our, uh, our one and only guest. We're not doing a panel for a change. We have Corbett Lunsford, who is the co-host of the PBS television series, Home Diagnosis, uh, ready to come out in season two, and also the uh, founder of the Building Performance Workshop. How are you doing, Corbett? Awesome, Bob. Thank you for having me. So, so how, how is it down in the Atlanta area right now? How is it? Um, it's good. You know, it's hot and muggy. And uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've got um, <laughs> uprisings happening across the country. So it's normal. It's pretty much yeah, normal. yeah, just just the normal summer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so what, what for those of you who haven't started watching the live uh, streamed edition, of the Healthy Indoor Show from the beginning, Corbett is actually, uh, I, I would say, the uh, at, at least a very heavy impetus for uh, us creating this show, doing it as a live stream. We used to do it as a recorded uh, show at least once a month for the magazine. Uh, but right at the onset of the, the real bad stuff of the pandemic back in March, Corbett called me up on a Sunday evening, I think, right? It was like, it's over the weekend. I think going, it was Friday. And by or Sunday, maybe it was a Friday. Yeah, had a plan. We, we started we, talking about it on a Friday. Yeah, we just said, you know, this, we got to talk about this. Somehow this is, this is going to affect indoor yeah, Let's spaces. live stream something. Can you live stream something? I'm like, well, you do a healthy, you know, we could live stream that. And, you know, not a week after that, we were live streaming. Bingo. And I, I decided not to stop. <laughs> Good for you. You, you know, have a problem I, with that, though. It was, yeah, say, yeah. A friend of you, Bob's, I'm just going to tell everybody that if there's a guy doing some horrible job that no one should have to do, you go up and poke him on the shoulder. He's probably Bob. Yeah, maybe. I, you know, it's self-inflicted uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, psychosis or something. I, I don't know. But, you know, so it, actually, so we did this, uh, you know, we did a, a really aggressive live streamed event with a lot of presenters. We did th a three-part series. We blew the whole part of it. It was on the 19th of March. And I remember it was a very long uh, shoot. You know, we kept going on and on and on and tons of great content. I mean, that first day was just amazing. Mm -hmm. you know, a plethora of good info. And uh, then we decided to uh, every Thursday just keep firing them off at 1 p.m. You know, so here, awesome. here we are. Here we are four months later. Glad to be back. Lots has happened it's, since then. You know, um, an awful lot has happened. Mm -hmm. Pandemic didn't go away. No, it's true. And it's getting, I mean, I feel like we haven't heard people talking about the cleaning stuff quite as much as I'd expect. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the, uh, everything is so loud that it's hard to hear. And that's the same in diagnostics when you're testing houses, right? It's like that if you, one element is, is overpowering others, then you can't hear any of the subtle stuff that's going on. But I feel like there's probably tons of stuff going on with people staying indoors even more in their homes than they already have, which is, you know, essentially 50% mm -hmm. of their entire lives, which, you know, we all spend inside of our homes. Sure. So it definitely, it increased your, your domicile, uh, occupant, indoor occupancy, no question about it. Right. Um, many people are still at home or working from home. Um, it hasn't changed my life much because, you know, our, my, our studio for healthy indoors, IQ net studio is actually at my home in Syracuse, you know, it's a separate building. So my commute is 70 feet from my house. So that's, uh, you know, I'm still right. doing the commute. My commute now. is 50 feet from my house. So <laughs> there there you go. My, my work site is right out there where we're building the big house that we're going to move out of this tiny house and into. Which we're going to talk about today. Um, because Corbett, uh, for those of you watching, <laughs> Corbett is actually uh, building a home. He and his wife, Grace, are not just co-hosting PBS television shows uh, and raising children, but they're uh, general contractors now. <laughs> it's true. 
and and also tradespeople. Uh, Grace is less on the trade side, but my parents are my crew. They bought a house right behind ours, um, and so they come over. We were working, uh, you know, we work five days a week in the house, and so we're there all day long. And uh, we were, we're insulating right now and doing interior air uh, sealing, which is like an interior house wrap. I'm installing the ductwork. I'm installing sheet metal and manufacturing and fabricating sheet metal parts and um, doing the water plumbing and we installed the deck and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, like we're, I have uh, had very few injuries on my work side. I will say a couple of times my, my back has put me out a couple of days in a row, but. So, so, so I guess that leads to the question of, you know, you obviously have with your building performance workshop have been talking about ways to, you know, improve how buildings perform and, you know, indoor environmental has always been a, a factor of that. So, you know, what drove you and Grace to actually, uh, actually take on a task like this? It's a pretty big task building your own home. It is. And I think, you know, there's um, a superpower and a handicap in the same thing, which is that we don't get very easily intimidated by things. So when we decided to make our own television show, raise all the money ourselves. And literally I'm the one who raises the money. I call people and I say, Hey, can you give me money for a PBS television show? And then they hopefully give me money. Most of the time they don't, but sometimes they do enough for us to actually do it. Um, we, you know, that doesn't scare us and then doing it and then building this house, which is the world's highest performance, tiny house on wheels, which we live in still, um, which you can see there. Um, but I'd say it's also a handicap because it gets you into things, you know, so like building a big house is much different than building a tiny house. And so you this think? took us five days uh, or five months, seven days a week is what it took me to build this with my parents. And then they volunteered to come help me build that. We've been working on that for a year and a half over there. So, um, and when I say over there, I mean, it's 50 feet outside the door there. On our, How many, so square, square footage, your, your tiny house is what, like under 300 square feet? 200. Okay. And the big house is 2,200 square feet of living space and then 800 square feet of a studio space, which is for our filmmaking, for music. I, I used to be a professional musician. Grace used to be a professional dancer. So it's like a, our playroom, basically. Nice. That studio. Nice. So but, that's, a, that's a sizable uh, increase in, in uh, square footage construction. Yes. And for two kids and two cats that also live in here with us, and they might come up here and bother me at some point. But, um, but the more immediate answer to your question is that I... So there's... there. There's really no way to get cred in practiced, practical building science without being a builder or an installer contractor of some kind. My history is in diagnostics. I test people's houses all the time. And I know all about what they're actually doing to the point where like, I'll win any argument with a mechanical engineer or an architect or a builder because I have actual information. And that goes for anybody who's watching the show who also uses test tools. Uh, but there is a difference between knowing what's going on and, and truly understanding all of the nuances that it takes to really fix that or to prevent it in the first place. So predicting problems is what the diagnostics is for, but then preventing them really takes hands-on stuff. And like, for example, when you run a drain line, you don't run it straight up underneath the sink because then the vent is gonna have to continue there and somebody's gonna wanna put a light fixture right above the sink and a mirror and all that stuff. And if you get this drain line, so like those little things that are ridiculous, no one would wanna know that. Mm -hmm. But it takes actually being there and having these conversations saying, why did we do it that way again? And um, to, to really understand like how complex the system really is. And we're always saying the house is a system, the house is a system. But doing but it you, rather than just talking about it, yes. you know, and it, it is different. Yeah. And so, so I'm after cred and I want to know that if, if a builder gives me a hard time, if an HVAC professional gives me a hard time, I know 
I, I don't just know my response to it, but I know their perspective, you know, their perspective on it. And I know why they're arguing with me about it. Not just what they're saying, but what they mean, what's underlying the subtext behind everything. Because that's a big part of having these conversations in the 21st century is like sure. subtext is so pervasive and nobody means what they say anymore. Why, you know, and to get on the side here, why do you think that's the case? Is, is that, that seems like it's more pervasive now than it was. Um, right? Yeah, Are people I, more afraid to actually, you know. Probably that, either? right? Yeah, being afraid to offend people and being politically correct and all that training that we've had, but also marketing, right? So like I could say, you want a beautiful life, right? Don't you want a beautiful life for your children? And you know, the next thing I'm gonna say is, then you should buy this lotion or whatever it is. You know, this is like, you're not gonna answer me and say, yes, I want a beautiful life for my children because then you're on the hook for buying the timeshare that I'm about to sell you. In right, fact, right. I've been selling to you since we sat down and started having coffee. So I think that that's the marketing thing I think is a problem. And also politics is so, you know, mm -hmm. bipolar. It's like, am I on this side or that side? And there's no gray area. I can't be a human being. I have to be. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of give and take anymore, right? It's polarized. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So happy face or sad face? That's all you have. I, I, is that yeah? Or I thought it was just angry face or ambivalent <laughs> face. But um, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You know, one way or another. So 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 the the house project. I mean, it's go, it's going well. You know, you've been you've been featuring snippets from it in uh, your monthly edition in Healthy Indoors magazine. So I've been seeing you know part of the process going along. Um, which, what's your estimated uh, time of completion? We hope to be moving in by Christmas. Nice. But but the the whole point of the build is not to show people what they should be doing. In fact, what, that's like when people start arguing with me about like, oh, well, there's a better way to do it. I don't care. And in fact, <laughs> I don't want anyone to do it the way that we're doing it out there. Just like I would never give anybody the plans for this tiny house because it's not supposed to be replicated. What, I'm, what we're trying to do is tell a story about tuning the machine that is your house. And the big thing lately has been, um, you know, like people are saying, why are you doing interior air sealing? So just to back up in time, we air sealed the outside of the house with an all-in-one weather resistant barrier. It's a, you know, sheathing um, that people, ours was Georgia Pacific force field. People have seen zip system. You've got an LP mm -hmm. product that's the same thing. Um, and it's basically a house wrap that's laminated to the sheathing, OSB or plywood, what, what have you. And uh, when we tested that, we didn't just do a blow order test, which showed that we were 20% or 30% tighter than passive house requires. Wow. But we also then went ahead and pressurized it to five times as much as a blow order test normally does. So we went from 50 pascals, which is a blow order test, to 250 pascals, which is an inch of water column. And then we sprayed the house down with a pressure washer to try and force air to, to leak in and find out exactly where that was happening. Mm -hmm. So I know for a fact how the house performs and yet we're still doing more air sealing. Now we're doing an, an entire interior house wrap behind the drywall. And people are asking, why are you doing that? It, you've already hit this thing. And it's because this is not a work of art. It's not a painting that's gonna just sit on a wall. It's a machine. So when you're fixing somebody's engine, you don't just take your wrench and tighten all the bolts. And then you're like, okay, all done, I tightened them. You go around again. And you tighten them all again after you tighten them all one time because this is a machine and it must work properly. So that idea of trying to transform this thing about a house being a collection of goods and products that happen to be dumped in the same place at the same time to a working system that has its own invisible dynamics of physics 
chemistry and microbiology and talking about how those things can be like, for example, to shoot ahead to the, the TV show, we have two whole episodes on home chem, which, which the, uh, I'm not supposed to say home chem on PBS because it's like a, you know, it's a brand, uh, oh, okay. but we was, can say it here because we're, know, we're yeah, commercial, we're you know, and so home chemistry is basically what it means, but it, it was a, an experiment that we were privy to that we were there for. Bob was there as well. And it stood for house observations of microbial and environmental chemistry. And we learned more in this one month study than we have learned in the past 20 years of studying indoor air quality in homes. And so the first episode, half an hour solid of our show, episode uh, 10, is going to be the problem of home chem. And all of the things, all the ways that your chemistry and your microbiology can go wrong because of interactions with the invisible physics. Okay. All this stuff is totally invisible and you can't tell. It's like people say, oh, radon isn't real or it's not really a threat. It's like just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it's not a real right. thing. And then the second uh, part to that, the whole second half hour is going to be the solution to home chem and how you actually tune this. So trying to tell the story about like, here's what could possibly go wrong with this house. And it is a myriad of ways that I could poison my children. And that's why we make the show. We produce it ourselves is because I'm allowed to say, I know for a fact that I'm not poisoning my children, which then makes everyone else think I can't prove that. Am I poisoning my children? And the answer is you may be poisoning your children. Yes. And then my job is to say, don't worry. Keep your, your health calm. Don't worry because like, they're your children. No, right. Don't, don't get ants <laughs> in your pants. You can solve it. And this is how you do that. You think about the things that are in, you know, interacting here. We use the 4-3-2-1 approach. We, we pay attention to the physics, the chemistry, and the microbiology. And you tune all the things together. So you know, really having a, a hand in the HVAC system and really having a hand in the enclosure, I now understand why the, the HVAC guys and the insulators don't talk to each other. Because they are, it's difficult to make those two things be one machine. Um, so that, that all is like helpful in my formulating of the, the story, the master story that we're trying to tell over the entire season of the television show. You know, and, and I get that too, Corbett. Uh, you know, so I was an IAQ guy, right? An indoor environmental consultant and contractor for probably 21 years, 20 years before I got into any uh, building performance type stuff. You know, and, and, and again, you know, I was always conscious of that, but we'd always, we never, my, like my company here in Syracuse and upstate New York, we always saw the problems and we'd be like, yeah, you should get a, you know, somebody come in and, and, and do some pressure diagnosis and do a, you know, do a blower door test and blah, 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 and do air sealing. But we didn't, weren't involved with that. And, you know, so then I went down the rabbit hole of, you know what, I'm going to start getting BPI certifications. The next thing you know, we're an ICERTA contractor. Next thing you know, we go from doing commercial air duct cleaning and mold remediation and all that kind of good stuff to, yeah, we buy a proportioner. We've got spray foam. We've got a Crendel machine. We're uh, blowing cellulose and fiberglass. We're doing air sealing. We're doing home energy audits you know so you know we're doing all that we're not selling windows because we're actually we're trying to improve uh energy savings you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um mm -hmm. you know uh you know at least with a payback in somebody's uh, at least one lifetime uh so that's you know <laughs> stay right. away from that a little bit yeah but I, the, the the point i was getting to is that never had my hands in that before as an iaq professional and suddenly being able to uh you know actually have a realization of what it's like to actually apply spray foam Having done it, you know, I did probably right. 200 applications myself, you know, operating it and, and seeing the pitfalls. And, you know, we were doing stuff early on in the mid 2000s. We were doing full containments for spray foam. Who was doing that? 
you know, because we're, we're IAQ guys, we're going like, wow, there's off-gassing, polyisocyanates. You can't be blowing that stuff and having occupants breathe that stuff. You need negative mm-hmm. air machines and barriers if you're going to apply it in an occupied right. building. And how much does that person deserve to be paid for the putting on the full suit with the oxygen pumped in and all that stuff? And it's like, yeah, well, just the fact that you have airline respirators enough. for your workers instead of putting half face on them that don't protect them from the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Or, see, or even full faces. I see guys walking around with APRs working in you spray know, foams. Like that doesn't protect you. You shouldn't wear that. Yeah, and, but but I th- I would even go further because we're the the healthy indoors minute that we're about to release in August here with you is about our interior space. We built a super airtight house, and lots of builders out there are building super airtight houses, and they do not get it. And this is a big problem. So, you know, anybody knows a builder, works with builders, please let them know, like, you got to be doing testing on your own work because you are building probably way more airtight than you think. So now you built this airtight house, but you don't have the HVAC working yet because you just, you got the roof on and you got the air sealing in place and you're insulating, but the HVAC is not, that's not until after you get electrical, right? You know, at the minimum weeks at maximum months. And we've been in there for, for months since we had this thing closed in because we work slow and I'm not a builder. So anyway, I've had a dehumidifier running in that house, a big dehumidifier, it was a hundred pints a day for the last year. It's been living in the crawl space, pulling out moisture all the time because it's an airtight house. We also now have air filtration going on, but my radon system is just a passive radon system right now. And it doesn't work at all. We have 12 right. Pico Curies per liter in there right now, which the, the limit that's like safe, which I want to be zero, right. is four. four right. We're at 12 inside that house. If in a normal build site, you get subcontractors coming in for two days, three days a week, maybe. We're, me and my mom and my dad are in that house every single day. And it's airtight and it's super humid and muggy and hot outside. And that house is nice and cool and dry because of all the stuff I'm doing to it. But we don't have the radon system on. So... Like spray foam is bad for you, but let's just go ahead and say all construction is bad for you. In fact, any oh, sure. carpenter who doesn't wear a mask when they're working with saws is crazy because that is like, you look at the list of carcinogens that end up, and my dad, will, you know, I love my dad tons, but he'll even say, well, it's an irritant. It's not a um, mutagen or something like that. And I'm like, what do you think cancer is? It's just your body getting irritated enough. So anyway, um, I just think that there's this whole mentality in construction of like the tough guy thing. Right. That oh, clearly. Do not take seriously. It's clearly. I, you know, what's interesting though, I think, and not to say that the pandemic is a positive in, in this regard, but people are being, I think more attuned to having some sort of a mask or a respirator on now, you know, and, and I think it's going to be, I, I don't think it's going to be as taboo on a construction site to see workers wearing respirators anymore. The caveat, of course, is that you actually have to have OSHA compliant respiratory protection programs in place if you're actually wearing respirators. Right. right? And, you know, and, and fit testing and, and face, da, 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 you know, right. I mean, it's like people just sticking that stuff on their face. The N95s, those are respirators. So they call them masks. That's the big misnomer, right? An mm-hmm. N95 is a respirator. It, you do have to have a compliant OSHA respiratory protection program in place to use those mm-hmm. you know, in the workplace. You know, so. I don't, you know, maybe it'll change a little bit, but you're right. I think there is this stigma. Well, it's, you know, you look at that, that whole bias, you know, having been an IAQ consultant for all these years, that when you go into a work site to investigate an IAQ complaint, typically there's a higher prevalence of IAQ complaints with women workers than male workers. And part of it, I think, is the, the male stigma of, 
you know, in the workplace of you, you, you can't complain, can't say something's bothering you, but you, you don't let on to it. You're not going to, you know, in, be in touch with your feelings about a project, what's happening. You know, it's part of it. Hmm. I don't think it's just a physiological thing. I think there is actually just this social stigma. Too. Sure, that might be part of it too. I mean, I do think it's important for men to understand that there is a physiological difference, though, that women actually are more sensitive uh, to something. And so it's like, if you can't smell it and a woman can smell it, it's probably not that she's inventing it. She actually has, is better at smelling things than you are. But, but, but I'm stronger. Yeah, yeah I get well, I'm saying. a firm believer here after 34 years of being a consultant that everybody is, everybody has a different level of trigger exactly. to different constituents. And just, you know, if somebody has a complaint about an indoor environmental issue, there's probably an issue that's affecting them. People don't just mm-hmm. make this stuff up generally. I mean, the percentage of people that maybe fabricate it are like a fraction of a fraction of a percent, maybe. Right. Anybody that's saying there's a problem probably is experiencing something that bothers them, right. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. That was one of the recent videos that we released on our channel was um, we work with Prism Analytical Technologies, which is a lab. And you've worked with them too. And um, you could send in samples. They send you a little pump and you take a sample. And I wanted to know what was in this duct insulation that I've been working with that smells like a cat peed on it. I don't think that's okay. So I, I work pee? with, was, I was work with rock wool and I, no, it wasn't cat pee. No, <laughs> no cats had peed on cats. it. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, right. No, apparently it always smells like that. And that was like a big giveaway to me. I was like, oh, well, we're going to do a test on this because that's what our channel is for. Mm-hmm. And so we... We did a test on it, and the test, um, the equipment did not, couldn't pick up on what it was that I was smelling. It was like, well, these all seem like normal levels. And of course, it was a VOC that I'm smelling. Most of what you smell is VOCs. Sorry about my, this is something that you would maybe smell. Cats are very, very clean, but they're, uh, by the way, that's one of the things about this house. You, there's a litter box in here, but it's 200 square feet, and you can't smell it. You're ventilated quite well. We're tuned tuned sorry there's there's pressure imbalances at work here that we're that are designed in so anyway um i think that uh that's the problem is that we we smell things and we've been taught that vocs are bad which is actually not true 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 it's like maybe an indicator um but if you smell something that you think smells like cat pee, you might think, "Uh oh, am I being poisoned?" And that's what we tested. Is like, and it turns out, no, I just don't like the smell of cat pee, and it's going to go away, and it's not really, it's not on the list of things that are are problematic. So the smell, the sensation of something, can be different than the toxicity of the thing. Oh, which clearly. Is, again, comes back to like you know radon, for example, which you can't smell, but it's right. it's bad for you. Well, I mean, you think about it, our, our you know, olfactory senses, right, our, our sense of scent um, is it, pretty fine. You know, it's a pretty fine thing. Like if you were to go out and look for total VOCs with a photo ionization detector, right, you take a PID out there, even a parts per billion resolution, we're able to get, you know, sense with our noses, often things that are even, you know, m- you know, stuff that you can't even detect on a part per billion level photo mm-hmm. ionization detector. As far right. as bottled organic compounds. Here, wine, so. same thing. You can't, they can't make a, a computer that can analyze wine the way that a person can. Well, can't get as snobbish. Well, that too. <laughs> I'm but, sure you know, that'll come, that'll come before. Yeah, but, I mean, but that's a good point. It's like, so the question between, you know, a nuisance odor versus something that really presents a physiological, uh, you know, uh, risk. Um but does it not, you know, if, if you're being bothered by something, and I would ar- make this argument as a consultant all these years of dealing in all these different environments, that if somebody's being bothered by it to the extent that it's affecting, you know, how they're living, then whether or not it's a nuisance odor, you know, 
is almost irrelevant, isn't it? Because it does mm -hmm. ultimately have, you know, have a chain reaction on your life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm going in the weeds here, but. No, that's okay. That's, I, I'm starting to go off into the um, weeds of like just perception in general, just because you can't smell something or you can't sense something doesn't mean it's there with all this political turmoil that's going on. We're going to go there before we're done, but we're going to take it toward the end of the show. So, you know, we take less so arrows on Q&A. We, we, we can take less Q&A arrows. So I, I'm going to put up a graphic now for uh, for your season two of Home Diagnosis. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about that in a second here. Uh, Corbett uh, and Grace host the show Home Diagnosis. That's on, what, 70% of the public TV stations in the country? Or it's on over 60% season okay. one, which was okay. kind of amazing because it was no one has ever made a show like this before. It's a science show about homes. So it's not a home show. It's not really a science show purely. So anyway, no, nobody knew what it was. And so they all took it on like a gamble. And so that was, that was kind of impressive because it was only six episodes in the first season. Uh, it was a mini series. So the second season is going to be full 13 episodes. And when, when is that slated to debut? We have already filmed nine of the 13 episodes and we're editing ourselves. We have our editing station right down there where I was finishing the most recent healthy indoors minute. Um, and so we're hoping, I mean, COVID set us back a little bit because it changed the rules of how we need to shoot, and which I'm happy to talk about. But um, we're hoping for February that it would start airing, February 2021. And uh, you think more stations are going to pick it up around the country? or You're Almost guaranteed. One of, the main, one of the main problems that people had was that it was only six episodes. So it's, it doesn't really fill, when programmers are trying to fill up their schedules, they don't really like six episodes. It means they have to pick another mini series that then they have to go search around for it. Um, so anyway, th that was one thing. The other thing is that they, a lot of them perceived, which is a false perception, but PBS is like insane for the nonprofit kind of allergic to money uh, perspective. They thought that this was a commercial for building performance, which I don't even know what that means, but also it's an educational show. Anyway, we scrubbed out all the logos on the show, but the fact that the sponsors were all from the building industry was a worry for them. So on the second season, our main sponsor is the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. There you go. So now they have no argument to stand on. So I think that, yes, we'll see that it, it'll jump upwards of 80% on the second season. Nice. And, and uh, you know, I saw some of the, uh, you did some uh, kind of like backstage uh, behind the scenes footage on shooting season two. I saw people wearing masks and the production mm -hmm. crew and everything. Uh, what, what type of, uh, you know, how, how did this pandemic change how you had to shoot this? Sure. So we had a script, we have a template that used to sit right here actually. And it, we've been kind of like scribbling in it, but um, we would, we open up the show. Every episode is half an hour and that's intentional. We don't want to bore people with physics and chemistry and microbiology. And also we want them to come to our website and learn more. But, um, we would open it up, talk a little bit about the, the main topic that we're going to talk about in episode, uh, the, the second season episodes are basically a crash course in the science of homes or building science. Building science typically has been mostly about physics. So we, we like the science of homes topic, but the way that it works out is like we talk about architecture versus performance and how you can design something that's very, very pretty, but it might work terribly. Um, energy efficiency versus performance, something that's very energy efficient might also perform terribly for people to live there. 
Uh, we talk about the reality of home building. We talk about holes in the house, things like duct, you know, windows and doors and uh, skylights and all of the things that you're intentionally building into your house that are then going to defeat the performance and how you can attune those things. We talk about cooling and drying. We talk about heating. We talk about air quality. We talk about the sun. We'll, we'll talk about solar energy for literally about a millisecond and then say there's a lot more to talk about with the sun. Solar gains. We're talking about shading. We're talking about... Um, photocatalytic reactions, all kinds of things to do with the sun. So, so all of that kind of is how we, we break it up. But we wanted to visit people's houses where they were having problems with the topic of the day. And now we can't do that because our crew that we hire is like six or eight people. Yeah. And they've got a whole bunch of equipment that was literally just somewhere else yesterday shooting something else. And we're not going to load all this equipment into somebody's house and potentially contaminate their house or potentially take whatever their house is contaminated right. with to the next gig. And bring so, all the production crew into their house. Yeah, exactly. So we're stuck on this property. And so we have, to, we like limitations. We were always that way when we were professional artists and, and we still like it. It just forces you to think more creatively. So we've had to stay put on this property. We've got a tiny house, houses under construction. We've got a little troll house that's made of rocks that has no door. It's like a little five square foot um structure we have a workshop we've got the dry vault which is my tool shed we have a bunch of different like little buildings outbuildings mm -hmm. that we can use to explain the story of whatever it is that we're talking about so we've had to really think around some weird corners with that um but that's essentially what's what's going on we also are doing all of our interviews on zoom now instead of flying people here and talking to them on site which, which is a little bit it's, 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 diff fine. it's different. It's different. It but quite different. frankly, you know, I, I think this is becoming, you know, more of the norm. I think it will be. And I think it's much more accepted just online everything. Right. You know, it's, right. Um, I, and I'm curious to see how this shakes up. But I believe in 2021 and beyond, you know, um, making, you know, the leap of faith that we will get beyond this pandemic someday. You know, I mean, someday I believe we will. I don't know when that day is. Uh, but I think there's still going to be a component of this online using these virtual tools that I think uh, will stick with us. People mm -hmm. will be more comfortable yeah. than, than they were. That, because you look at us, like people like us, like you and Grace have been in video production. So you're, you're no strangers to cameras and doing things like this. I've been involved in production for, you know, decades. So this is not uncomfortable. We've been using Zoom for five years, ever since, you know, pretty much came out so that's you invented it i think i did not invent it no the, the the team from you know cisco invented it when they bailed and started it but that's another story um but it, it is a good platform you know for all its uh, flaws and i think what it's done is, is it's let people have this experience for better or worse of you know virtually communicating mm -hmm. so hugging each other there should be a hug icon how do i do that that's You're amazing. gonna have to do a Facebook, uh, you know, Facebook, Facebook hug, live stream. Yeah, then then you have can have all the platforms. little, all the little, little icon blubs coming up. You know, as you know, when you're live streaming on Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, and you can get all of your personal uh, affirmations that way. My dopamine hit. Yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta have it. You, if you get, get the likes. So, you know, we, we got, we got, we're half. This went fast, by the way. We're already halfway through the, our our allotted time. Um, you know. We, we broached upon this when we did the, those initial three episodes uh, together uh, at, the, at the onset of uh, talking about the pandemic. And uh, the subject, you know, it's like, it's kind of a taboo subject that we've, we've you know, you brought up, I, I remember in the first show, about some of the uh, racial injustice and, you know, underserved communities and how they are potentially being 
more adversely affected uh, by the pandemic. But, you know, in subsequent stories and articles we've covered with Healthy Indoors, I mean, it seems like that theme has carried forward much beyond the pandemic, you know, to talking about how there's, you know, really social injustice that goes into housing in general and sustainability. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Kevin Kennedy has been on numerous times and he, he'll always bring up the fact that, you know, there's underserved communities that, you know, are more uh, prone to having asthma issues and other, you know, underlying health issues. Um, and it's because really a lot of it due to the fact that people are living in substandard housing. And there, right. and there's, there seems to be a common denominator there. It's people of color, mostly, right. You know, not always, well, but we were, mostly. When we were talking about the COVID, um, you know, the quarantine how to's and the little tips, all of the tips were for people living in single family homes. And, and we realized like at the end of the day, we're kind of like what happened to all the multifamily and the renters? Like, what are they supposed to do? Because they're going up and down in elevators that they're right. in an elevator. Like literally you're not supposed to stay in your home, you know, <laughs> what is that? You know? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, um, that is definitely a problem. And a lots of people will, the, the big problem I think is that people, you know, we think of everything that's an argument as a, entree to another argument that's some kind of a bigger thing that's about an election somewhere and i honestly don't care about i get that i mean but that i mean that does you can't discount the fact that that does come into play because we're in a presidential election year right i mean i mean i think you know i mean it's it's inevitable that somebody's gonna you know yeah right but i think that if there if it wasn't an election we would have the same people would be arguing about something else they would be finding faults about something else yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, we, we so we did a show. Um, oh, about a month ago. I'm, you know, it all starts to blur together now, and during this pandemic and lockdown and everything. But we did a show. We had Suzanne Shelton and uh, Lily Abron uh, were on, and we were talking about. Um, it's it, it started out about talking about how there's racial inequality with sustainable building practices and all that. But we, we there was an interesting question that was brought up: is define the usage of these two terms home and housing Mm -hmm. and you know what it's like the term housing is kind of something that we refer to a lot of places where the underserved communities tend to get stuck sure you know they live in housing you know but we we all in white america have homes (laughs) yes it was really striking and and we moved here (laughs) grace and i lived in chicago before here in atlanta and I lived in a majority black neighborhood in Chicago called Hyde Park, which is where the University of Chicago is based. Not because I was going there. I was just, I uh, happened to be in that neighborhood for a year. And so anyway, I've lived there. I've lived here. This is a majority black part of town. And when we moved here, I would ask people where they lived and they would tell me where they stayed. I'm staying over on, or I stay here. And I, and I, it kind of was jarring. It was like, you don't live there you're just staying there and it really is like that's what you're referring to is this like it's housing like it's just a place where you just put your things for a little bit until you're forced to go somewhere else because of whatever factors and there's a whole list of you know factors that would have people have to relocate but um yeah it's it's definitely a different we do not think of that naturally i think as like a majority white male group of people in this sustainability or high performance or whatever space that's just not something that comes natural to us is to think like oh well what about this and and that's the thing that we don't have the smell receptors for that you know like i i did not realize until this year that white people are really scary that's that's how 
a lot of black and brown people see white people. That's the first thing that they notice is how terrifying we are. There's a re there, there is a, a reason for that historically. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, it's but, not, you know, and whether or not you personally are scary and like, we're it, about it doesn't matter. Guys, you know, it doesn't matter. It, right. Exactly. It's like a thing. It's like, if you go to another planet and you don't, you didn't ask to be the representative of the entire human race, but you are, whether or not you like it, you That'd are the awful you're choice the, in my you're case. You're the one. Well, okay. that, I know, right? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not qualified, but that's that's what's happening right now. And so, anyway, we all, you know, we're representatives of all the white people who came before. We, our white ancestors, did some pretty seriously crazy stuff, violent stuff. And even as late as 1947, here in Georgia, they had a lynching of like a bunch of people. I don't know if it was um, four people or six people, but I mean, that's gross. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't want to talk about that because it's not nice. Well, a lot of people don't want to talk about a lot of things. You know, we, we, I mean, again, we're getting way off, you know, off the deep end, but you know, air quality, but, but, but but here's the, and here's the point where I think we we're on the deep end, but we're, we're not Corbett in my opinion, because, because again, it goes back to the indoor living conditions, the Mm -hmm. indoor environmental conditions, people's health outcomes as a result of those conditions. So you know, and that was why we took that on in the cover story two issues ago with Healthy Indoors, you know, much to the chagrin of some of our readers that weren't really happy that we started making statements that some people, you know, perceived as political. And, and they weren't. I see that as apolitical. It's not a political issue to me. Right. You know, it, it's a fact is what it is. It's it's a situation. There's, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter what your affiliation is. You know, there's there's inequity and this inequity causes some people to have poor health outcomes than others. Right. And so I, so I think we have to have the conversation, but it's uncomfortable and it's very uncomfortable because we're, you know, you and I are both in, you know, industries, right. The indoor environmental and the building performance industries and, you know, which are mainly dominated by white males. No, you know, no question about that. So it's uncomfortable to have those conversations and you and I are both poking the bear right now. Yeah. A little bit. So for anybody who's interested, who, who's like, Interested, interested, and not interested like in uh, uh, trolling some comments later, but we have a minority training scholarship. Grace and I rolled one out last year, actually. So if you'd like to learn more about building performance, we have a scholarship program for minorities and women um, because we, we believe that we need to get more people in here. Like, for, and and the, the way that I couch that is like, think about all the people who are having air quality problems right now who are in Spanish-speaking only communities where they just don't speak English very well. Who out there is talking about building performance or healthy indoors with those people? Like no one. We need more people who speak Spanish to go into those households and talk about this stuff. Because anybody who's a contractor in building performance knows you're the only contractor in town who talks about air quality. Everybody thinks that you're trying to scam them. You need need multiple people talking about this same thing. And people are like, oh, well, this is obviously a thing. Like the reason I haven't heard of it is because I've been listening to the wrong people. Um, so I think that that's, it's really important that we have women, we have people of color, you know, talking about all of the things that you talk about in Healthy Indoors magazine. Mm-hmm. No, um, I agree. I agree. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, and when we did those panels back in March, you know, it was, it was scarily apparent that, you know, you know, not by no, no intention of ours, we're somewhat tone deaf based on the mm-hmm. fact we are, you know, white males exactly. and we, and we see the world that way. And, and it's, you know, it's, you have to, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that bias, you know, that you, you ha- and, and again, not saying that it's, you know, the bias is anything that you did, you know, as pre 
you know, pre, uh, it's an it's not intentional. It's a yeah, not at all. It, it's not, all you know, but, it, but it, way, you yeah. have to recognize it because if you don't recognize it and you don't actually state it, and Suzanne Shelton did that very eloquently in her uh, in her uh, editorial in the uh, June issue, Healthy Indoors. You know, it's like she's writing about it and then she goes halfway down going, look at what happens in my business. You know, and she basically came around and said, wow, you know, what I've thought about everything to date is all bullshit. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, you know, it's like, this is, again, she's a white woman in, in, you know, in a business space that's predominantly male, but nonetheless, she goes, you know, I mean, I think that this is an interesting time to, um, you can see who actually likes learning and who likes getting enough learning so that they can just throw their weight around and be the one who is the authority. Uh, because I, you know I'm a white man and I'm really eating up learning about how wrong I've been about a lot of things and how embarrassing sometimes I am when I open my big mouth and I say something that's like mm -hmm. such a white man thing to say. I, in fact, let me, let me just say this real quick because this is like an interesting thing. You know, there's like a game where you you name yourself in three words. You describe yourself with three adjectives. Does that involve alcohol or I'm not sure? No, no, no. It's just like, you know, uh, you know, Bob Krell, tell me who Bob Krell is in three words. And you're like, oh, like radical, um, uh, great hair uh, singer. You know what I mean? But I feel well, like okay. for me and I and I pride myself on being a very interesting person. I always try to be super interesting and not a copy of somebody else. I try to be myself. Um, I have realized that the three words that I would have to use that predicate Everything else in my life, everything I've been able to accomplish with our television show, with the YouTube channel, with my career choice, with the music that I play, with the fact that I'm able to build a house with my parents, white American man. Those are my three words. Like there's literally no room for creative or interesting or like talkative because the fact that I am those other things is totally based in the fact that I have this free, I'm like, just so blessed by so many things. I had, you know, happened to be born as a white man in the richest, most powerful country in the planet back when I was born. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out after this whole thing is, is done, but, um, but I mean, like you gotta, it's why I love the topic that we picked building performance. I could literally talk all day long about it. I could be sitting here and notice something on a wall and think about like, oh, well, that could have impacts on blah, blah, blah. And it's just because like my mind is there. My mind is not on things like multifamily housing and what the mm -hmm. problem with renting and controlling air quality in a building where there's a split incentive and I want to have better air quality, but I'm not paying for the building. And so then the, the landlord is blah, blah, blah. My mind is just not there. So you need to have people who are thinking about that, whose right. mind is there in the right. room when you're having these conversations or else... There is no way you can have the imagination to think about it. Just like somebody who's starting out in building performance could never hold an all-day class and actually keep the class's attention, just making stuff up off the cuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you and I could just do that. We get up and give an hour and a half presentation on our expert topic because, like, we just think about it all the time. Right. It's very simple. Well, you know, and and that's that's an interesting point you raised there. Um, you know, because you. You don't necessarily have those perspectives, and it's interesting. So the uh, the upcoming issue, uh, you know, I'm going to change change hats. Uh, a building performance journal, the Building Performance Association's uh, uh, trade association magazine. Now that I happen to also publish, um, we, our cover story is talking about you know gaining you know or increasing diversity in the workforce in the building performance and weatherization workforce. Um, and, and how do we do that? I mean, it's you know Suzanne Shelton, you know, and our 
previous guests and different shows that we, we've rate we broached that subject but then we, i don't know if we have a lot of answers like how how do we change the the uh the landscape of, of these industries what do you think i mean is, Me? it, is that, well, yeah I well i'm know. just throwing it out there because i mean it's a t- it's yeah. a tough question because i've been asked that too and i go you know we need you know i always say we need to do this and then it's like well how are we going to do that and i'm like exactly i don't really and have the that's answer the pro- that's where people who are on the other side of the fence would say you're just blowing smoke you're just talking all talk and no action and i'm like yeah i get it so grace and i have this minority scholarship and i have a dozen scholarship students and like to be perfectly honest this scholarship is unlimited in number and it's infinite in time frame, so I could potentially, and it's only limited in North America. It's I, we had somebody apply from India, and I was like, I'm not sure if I want to open a Pandora's box of like just allowing anybody who's brown from anywhere in the planet because they're well, not already so I mean, in their country. Anyway, it was just like, it was but, but it's also yeah, you have you have a limited bandwidth of what you can do. It's and, true, and, and also can you be I global. Speak. I mean, exactly. So it's like it's hard with with all the other things, but I will say that. Um, you know, we put that out there and like, clearly I could do a better job of putting that out there. It's basically a 90% scholarship, um, for our, all of our trainings. And, um, I don't know what else to do aside from that. That's something like I'm doing something and I feel good about that, but, uh, no, I don't, um, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think that the answer is that if more people made more money, they would feel happy to like, I don't have employees at all. I don't hire employees because I've had that before. And, and. Anyway, if I was in that place and I was ready to hire somebody, I would do what I could to hire a minority, 100%. Um, because if you don't do it, then that's that's it. You're the one who needs to do it. So right, it's like, right. No, I, I, and Suzanne, you know, Shelton mentioned that same thing in her workforce too. You know, it's like, right. not because there's any reason they haven't, but she said no people of color have ever applied for a position. You know, and she says, and she, and she said like, that's, but that's a lame answer. She and goes, that, I need to, thing. I need to go out and seek people, you know, right. it's like, so, and try to find people. So and, our and minority scholarship is uh, a partnered with Matt Reisinger and Brian Orr. They're both mentors on our, for our students. And that was the thing that we, we came up against is like, you can't just say we would, you know, black people are welcome in this or women are welcome or uh, minorities should come and be in building performance or an indoor air quality or whatever it is. Like you, that's not enough to just say, oh yeah, we'd be perfectly happy to hire you. You have to go out and say, please, like I'm begging you. We got, you got to please come out here and do this. So you have to have a lot more of an active role in this um, and, and actually actively pursue people to, to make it more than just, oh, we welcome you because that's, that's very nice, but it's yeah. not yeah because it, it's it's still a very passive position to take that you know really won't affect any real positive change and, and the thing is there, like like you illustrated in order to have have change happen at ground level and in these individual residences and everything you do it need to have people from those communities as part of the stewards of these programs mm-hmm you know, because that's the only way they're going to be, you know, tailored properly and received, you know, you know, favorably received, you know, it's, you're right. I mean, so, so it, it, it's like a catch 22 to some extent, right? Because it's right. hard to, and it's I, hard to move the industry forward if, if you don't move into those communities and do things, but you need to have people from those communities as part of the industry. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting, actually. So I went to Utah before the pandemic, I got to go to Utah. We hired a videographer and I, and I went with the Utah weatherization program, which is a really interesting one, they, they'd spend a lot of money on training. And um, so weatherization is the low income 
home uh, performance assistance program, right? If you, in case nobody's uh, familiar with it. And they um, get the word out through community involvement. Like not everybody who's in these communities can get on Facebook and knows how to get a hold of information. That's one of the main benefits of being a white male in America, right? Is that we like have total confidence in our ability to find the resources that we need. We know that it exists out there. We, we know how to search for it and we know how to meet the people who are going to plug us in with that. These communities don't have that. That's not something that they feel very confident about. So the word of mouth is very important. And the problem comes in where you realize that there are people like us who are not like us mentally. They're just, you know, in the same position as we are where they can get any of the resources they need. Mm -hmm. And they've learned how to game the system because the asset in the weatherization assistance program is not the house that gets weatherized. So you might spend $10,000 weatherizing a, a home, but the asset that the, the government will count as like, oh, good, we did this. Here's the checkbox next to the thing that we just did. What we just did was help Betty Davis. We didn't help the address 3621 whatever street. We helped that woman. And so what they then learned that the landlords have learned that they can move Betty from that house that just got weatherized and be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to have to do something to that house. I'm going to have to put you over here. And then they reapply Betty in the program because Betty is the asset. She's the one with the income verification, not the address. And then she gets another weatherization thing. And the, there are these landlords out there who are like gaming the system and moving their tenants around to get all of their houses weatherized. And so, you know, like the game is being played, whether it's by people who honestly need the help and, and are wanting mm -hmm. it or sure. by people who have access to the people who like, you know, have their fingers in the money pots and they can say, oh, well, what's the loophole in your system? How can I game this to, right. to get what I want out of it? And I think that that's part of what's sad about this whole thing is that like, there's lots of assistance and resources and people will say all the time, like, oh, well, we give so much money on blah, blah, blah. But like how much of that actually ends up with the people who need it and how much of it goes to people who can figure out how to game the system. Right. And, and the thing is too, with weatherization, I mean, I know there's a, there's kind of an impetus for change in, in dealing with what I'm about to say, but for the most part, historically weatherization deals with energy, energy saving type measures, but not so much in indoor environmental measures, Correct. you know, like, you know, there's usually a small caveat. You can do something for some asbestos or you can do something for whatever, but you know, how many times are there, there projects where, you know, that are, proposed weatherization projects and they ended up end up being shelved and not done because oh there's mold all over there's a moisture problem in the building okay you know we can't do that one and they walk away from it I, you know i heard uh uh what you call it um i've heard it and many many people in the programs around the country where you know the the percentage is uh i think sometimes maybe 40 percent or so ones mm -hmm. that are actually projects that could go ahead except there's an indoor environmental issue like mold or asbestos or lead or something something that's not energy performance based and right. they end up not able to do the project well even then they so the people that need it the most don't get it don't get work done well that's true yeah and and then also when they do things that what's called the total resource cost the trc it's like a book that lays out how we value these improvements to houses and human health is very hard to quantify right now Clearly. For, for all this stuff. So, you know, what we value is this. And so if we can save that, uh, which then leads to savings on a national defense scale for energy, great, we can value that. But as far as valuing people's asthma or, you know, ventilation rates or indoor air quality or particle counts or anything like that, like they just don't have the, the guns 
to be able to do that in that program right now. And so they, um, you know, they'll, they'll airtight in the house and then have to install ventilation, but they don't get any credit for installing the ventilation. So right. then they just went into the red on that project. So that means that they have to make it up on another project, picks a bunch of really easy houses that aren't complicated at all, which are the ones, of course, that need the help. Right. And which is, which is unfortunate, you know, uh, we had Larry Zarker uh, from BPI and uh, Kevin Kennedy on last week talking about their new healthy housing uh, principles program that BPI rolled out just last week. And, and that, that came up a lot. It's like, it seems like there's a, a ton of, you know, projects that don't get looked at, you know, or don't, or don't actually get implemented, you know, for those very reasons. And then, you know, how do you quantify that and how do you get it, get it into play? And one of the, one of the thoughts were is trying to, trying to, encourage the insurance industries, you know, especially in the health insurance industries mm -hmm. to realize that they, re, you know, they have more positive outcomes if these people are in better environmental conditions, which overall, you know, in a, you know, which another comment, you know, in a for-profit medical system lowers their outlay of costs. You know, if, if you lower trips to the ER due to asthma attacks and things like that, there's actually, you know, real hard ball savings going on. Right. There was a, there was a little meme that I saw on Instagram. Instagram is my like um, you know hobby of choice lately. It's my brain candy, and it was like most expensive night stay in Italy, and it showed this picture of this beautiful palazzo. And then there was like Norway, and it was like this glass house in the middle of a glacier. And then in the U.S., it's a hospital bed. That's the most expensive place that you can stay overnight. You know, and you stay there for four nights, and it's forty thousand dollars. Um, and I think yeah. that that's, you know, to, to bring it back around to the, to the quarantine thing, mm -hmm. I think that that's like one of the problems with this black and white American action movie way of thinking about building performance or air quality or pandemic or whatever is like, not everyone's going to die. Well, dying is not the worst thing or the only bad thing that can happen to you. You could also get driven into debt by having an $80,000 medical bill and then have your health insurance that's run by your work say, well, did you get COVID while you were at work? And then they drop you. And now you have $80,000 of debt and you've got a lingering lifelong problem with your lung. Right. means you can never run again. I mean, like there's all kinds of bad things that can happen. And it's like, did they die? Oh, and will happen, not just can. Who cares? They, yeah, these right. things will happen. These things are happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, you're right. It's not just the black and white numbers of the fatalities. It's much more than that. In, in yeah. fact, well, clearly, like you know, you've got 37... Way. 40 million people out of work. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, ancillary effects of, you know, what, what's happening, you know, as a result of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we're not, you know, I, I, I hate being pessimistic, but we're, we're not anywhere near the, the bright spot the on this. Yeah. And I think that it's the same. I mean, it goes for all indoor healthy indoor stuff. It's like, is it going to kill people? I mean, is radon, we're still arguing about radon. It, there's so many more things to talk about. Like aside from the fact that radon is there's science, but you know, moisture levels, dehumidification, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We're building houses differently than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. And it's, we have to really pay attention to that. And I still go into, I had a builder the other day is building a 16,000 square foot house and it's two air changes per hour. It's very, very tight for a house, mm -hmm. no ventilation system because they just haven't ever had the complaint. And that's the most of my clients come from complaints. It's like, oh, well, we have all our clients are starting to like complain about this or that. We'd like to hire your <laughs> services only to fix problems, never to prevent them.
or predict them. Yeah, that's fascinating because, like, again, you mentioned, you know, how builders are tightening up houses, you know, and, and getting super tight houses. And well, yeah, then you're going to have to have some mechanical provisions to, you know, to air change those spaces. You're going to have moisture issues and subsequent microbial issues. Um, and I don't think you're going to fix it just by having a bathroom fan that runs more. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's I mean, really not, that's, that's really that's not the, the right solution. <laughs> right. Exactly. So until there's an explosion or something like that, people just don't. It's hard. We're all busy. I get it. People have kids, people have soccer practice and, you know, breakfast dates and stuff like that. But we're, we're also, you know, if, if, you know, at least for the next year and maybe who knows, you know, forever, you were going to spend more time at home. You know, people, many more people will probably be, you know, telecommuting, working from home, because mm -hmm. that's the one thing we, we've shown is, man, a lot of these jobs don't need to be uh, occurring in a commercial office space. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, we can actually have video meetings and accomplish our tasks, not actually being there. It's not for everybody, right? You, I mean, you know, some people really want the community spirit of being in a, an office environment, and some people thrive in that. Some people don't, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I think you're going to see more, you know, more of people spending more time indoors at home, which means you would think, right, that the result of that would be that people would have more concern of their indoor environments at home. Perhaps. I th and I think that part of the Eventually. problem that we're trying to solve with season two and with season three, which I'll, I can talk about what the topic of that is. Yeah, um, let's do that. Is just to let people know what the problem is, like that there is a problem. And I think most people don't get that there are things going on potentially. So season three is going to be disasters. What happens if you don't pay attention to this stuff? So, um, you know, an, an obvious example of it is like a house that gets flooded. Can you ever, you could bring in all the dehumidifiers and fans and bleach you want, but can you ever get that house bleach. back to, oh. or whatever it is that you're, if you're ah, stop. Hot, an ozone generator. I mean, there's no. like all kinds of horrible chemical things that you can do to houses. Bad examples, of, but okay. Um, but I mean, like the, the point is that those things do have an application and there is a, mm -hmm. there is a, a positive application for those technology. People use them sure. all the time for weird, crazy stuff. And anyway, yeah, clearly. you even ever take that house back to pre-flood conditions. It turns out that if, if you buy a house from somebody who had a dog, the ecosystem of the microbial life in that house still has a dog, mm -hmm. even after they move out and you For move For a period it. of time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, I mean, that's like, that's important to talk, you know, third-hand smoke, all that stuff. It's like, it's invisible and it's in the mm -hmm. materials that are around us. It's a system. Becomes resident. So, yeah. What's well, the same logic of, you know, why people don't want to buy cars that were uh, experienced a flood, you know, cars that came out of like a hurricane. Right. Think about that, right? Oh, it's a flood vehicle. It's like, you shouldn't, nobody, yeah. nobody wants that, you know, but, but they buy flood houses. <laughs> right. Or cars where people smoked uh, all the time or cars where people smoked crack or <laughs> okay. <meth> houses or, <laughs> well, you know, like there's, yeah, there's I mean, there's, there, there, yeah, there, those are extreme examples, but I, you think it, in the in the course of the lifespan of the typical house or any building, there's going to be water events. It's a given, right? There's going to be some sort of either an outside exterior, you know, major, uh, you know, weather event that causes a flood, or you're going to more likely almost every building is going to experience plumbing issues that's mm -hmm. going to cause flooding. Not my house, though, right? Oh, well, I, okay. I, I can't speak to your house, but my but house in, right now they're doing the plumbing test. I've got the drain, the sewer at the bottom is plugged, and okay. there's water all the way filled up until the second floor bathtub is halfway full of water. 
and it's just going to sit like that until inspection. I actually didn't know that that's how they did it, but it's it's got literally thousands of pounds of water just sitting in there. That's interesting. So you're, you're really you're pressure testing that that uh, drain side. Yeah, but that's how they that's the code test everywhere. Like, Is I that really? Do, I, I wasn't aware I of that crazy. to be honest. Yeah. No, I feel I feel like I just learned something major today. Isn't that amazing? So uh, yeah, it just sits there until. The, the inspector comes and then they say, okay, great. You're not leaking. You're good to go. And then you just pull the plug. Okay. Well, so I guess we're going to find out, right? Uh, Thus far, it's been okay. Couple days. But yeah, no, it's, it wasn't leaking. If it leaks in the, it's, it's going to leak in the first 15 minutes. Like yeah. Yeah. It, so. may, it would make sense. But yeah. you know, but the, but the point I was making, I guess, is that most, okay. We're not going to say all buildings. Okay. Most buildings will experience mm. some sort of water occurrence but in, in the scope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I said most. I gave you the caveat. Right. No, that's okay. Okay. But I think, but, you know, yeah. So anyway, everything that happens, just like everything that happens to a prison, it's going to leave a scar. Yeah, do it does. It does. Here. Right. And and we, you know, generally don't build to accommodate for that. We, you know, we have products that are still moisture susceptible and, and things happen. And, you know, and, and we're, we're improving some of that. But I tell you, you know, I got in this industry back in uh, pretty much 86. And, you know, I really thought we were going to make, you know, massive improvement you know, and doing things. And I still see the same stupid building practices and design practices for the most part taking place here in 2020 that I saw in 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, things have gotten a, a better, but they haven't improved to the scale that they should have. Or they've improved, but we've had new side effects come out. Well, that too. And yeah. we're not measuring the improvements either. So. Well, it's hard. It, yeah. It, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you and I sit in uh, some challenging industries. You know, like, and it's, we're, I think we're still neophytes overall. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to move it forward and improve, you know, and to that end, to that end, Corbett, you know, what, what you're doing with your show, uh, you know, with home diagnosis, I think it's a great show. Uh, those of you who haven't seen home diagnosis, you absolutely do need to see home diagnosis. It's a great, uh, great series. And you Um, can at home diagnosis.tv. Because it's, it's a free, it's a public television show. So we own the copyright and it's on YouTube. Perfect. So that's, and you also uh, have the uh, uh, building performance workshop. Yep. That's and where that's you do training. Workshop.com. Yep. You can get lots of resources there and, um, and apply for that scholarship. If you know anybody who's interested in this topic, uh, but we've got lots of different training things and, and just trying to get the, elevate the entire construction industry, just like you're doing Bob. Well, you know, I, we're all trying, we're doing our part, right? When we're trying to actually move things forward uh, to that end, let you all know uh, healthyindoors.com is where you can watch uh, the live streamed episodes of the show, as well as uh, any um, of the previous recordings and podcasts. Uh, also healthy indoors magazines available there, which is a free digital monthly publication. You can actually uh, uh, access our whole eight years. And by the way, we are uh, eight years Corbett, I just realized this. We're eight years old today with Healthy Indoors. Happy we birthday. We launched our first our first magazine exactly eight years. Eight, oh, that's crazy. That's awesome. Good job. Nuts. Crazy life. It, it was the 6th of August. Wow. I, it didn't. It just dawned on me now. Happy that. anniversary. Yeah, Seriously. happy anniversary. Wow. That's, uh, they grow up so fast. <laughs> <laughs> thanks okay, well, and, and thanks for the invitation today. I hope to talk with you again soon. 
thanks so much for being here. Um, again, uh, Corbett Lunsford, co-host uh, of the PBS television series, Home Diagnosis. Thanks for joining us today. Until uh, next time, I'm Bob Krell, uh, the publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. And, uh, you know, I guess the uh, chief prognosticator, if that's even a word, of uh, the Healthy Indoors show. So we'll see you next Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time uh, for the Healthy Indoors show. Until then, uh, please stay healthy. Stay well, and uh, we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.